Hello and welcome to another episode of Wanna Be Entrepreneur, the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. And today I have another interview for you. I have uh, KCD Williams here with me. Hey, KCD, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. I'm super excited about this interview. I think you're the person that I'm interviewing that has the most followers on Twitter, to be oh, honest. <laughs> so that's, you know, it's a lot of pressure here. So I hope I, I do a good job here. For, for the ones that do not know KCD, she's a software developer, startup advisor, and investor. And uh, she also gets your... Uh, also kind of a teacher you you have uh, you have been advocating react for for a long time forever, and, uh, <laughs> forever. you worked at netlify up until uh, was it yesterday no uh four days ago now december 3rd and i completely love netlify i have to say i i use it it's it's a really cool platform i i still like it a ton too it's a great platform for bootstrappers i reckon because like mm. i i host I guess both of my websites now together with GitHub there and it's completely free and it's it's amazing. I, I really love what the product that the Netlify built there. So really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. I I personally was, I I didn't have anything to do with it, but I was very much advocating for continuing to keep things free um, on the Netlify platform because I, lo I love the concept of platforms that grow with you, where if your website does start to make money and does start to grow and, and need that, then that's when you start paying for things. And and having it be free until that point, I think, is is such a great move for indie developers and bootstrappers yeah, and entrepreneurs. Yeah. I totally agree. The only problem is that when... So let's say that suddenly you want, you want you need a little bit more computing power and then you want to start paying, but then it's a huge gap. So that's that's something that I, I don't like. I think Google does that a little bit, that they offer a lot of great tools, but then the moment you need to start paying, it's like an absurd amount of money. Yeah, we, it did actually used to be more. Uh, it used to be, I think, like $45 a month if you wanted the pro plan. And so they did change it. So it it went down to, I think, $19 a month if you wanted to change to the pro plan. Yeah, but yeah. It's, 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 yeah still, which is okay. it's still quite the jump from free. Yeah, no, but 19, I think it's okay. I mean, if you're bootstrapping your project and you need more computing power, I mean, everyone can pay 19 bucks a month, I would say. Yeah. So I think it's completely fine. Yeah, but KCD, I, I think I, I did a very poor job introducing you. So what I would ask is for you to introduce yourself. <laughs> I'm a lazy interviewer here. Uh, oh, yeah, no, so you're good. <laughs> in your own words... Uh, can you like describe yourself to the listeners? Sure. Well, hi everybody. I'm Cassidy. Um, I like to make jokes on the internet, and I really like teaching people. So that's 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 the very very short answer. Um, kind of like Tiago said before, I uh, worked at Netlify for a while, and it was kind of a pandemic job. Actually, I started working at Netlify when I was laid off from my role in March 2020, um, and it was a really great time. I, I, I really enjoyed working there. But in that time, I started looking into advising startups more and, and figuring out more what I want to do uh, just as an individual. And mm -hmm. um, over time, I started to really miss teaching. My role before that was actually teaching React, speaking of evangelizing React to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I was teaching React full time at a company called React Training um, and Sadly, when you teach full-time and, and have a traveling job, uh, c 
companies did not do well in terms of travel when the yeah. pandemic started. And so, yeah, they, they ended up having to lay everybody off, sadly. Um, but I was doing that for a while. Before that, I was at CodePen. Before that, I was at Amazon. Before that, I was at a creative agency. Before that, I was at a startup called Clarify. And before that, I was at uh, Venmo. Before, That's an uh, impressive Venmo. resume. Yeah, I, I, I've jumped around quite a bit, I admit. That's it's really interesting. And uh, by the way, happy birthday! I know that you turned uh, the big uh, three zero recently. Yeah, right? I turned thirty yesterday. It feels yeah. weird. How does it feel actually? I, I still have one more year to turn thirty. So, yeah. what's what's been interesting is like everybody younger than twenty four, like all of my younger cousins and stuff, is just like, oh my gosh, you're so old now. But then pretty much everybody older than that is like, wow, you made it to the golden era. Congratulations. <laughs> and so it's, it's been it's been quite the dynamic of responses. But I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm ready for the thirties to begin. Are you proud with what you achieved? Because like you've been in so many companies already, and you've achieved so much. Yeah, it's 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 been it's been a learning experience. I I definitely have jumped around a lot, not necessarily because I just want to be a job hopper or anything, but really just for good learning experiences and and because of circumstances. And um, yeah, I I've I've been really happy with where my career has gone. When I we were actually talking uh, in a community recently about like, do you have any regrets with your job? And, and with where your career has been. And I think the only one I really have is I still am not very good at saying no to things. And that's why you're here in this hey! podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but, but yeah, like, like I definitely have said yes to a few too many events on occasion or a few too many projects just because I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Plus, it would look good on my resume or plus it would make me a good amount of money or something. Yeah. And uh I, I definitely have learned the hard way that I need to kind of get better at figuring out which things I want to do, which things I don't want to do, yeah, and yeah. Uh, which things I should say yes and no to. Your 20s are for that, right? To realize yeah, exactly. what, what things are worth it, what things are not worth it, but you kind of have to try it all. Yeah, exactly. And and I do think I've I've tried, I feel like I've tried it all. I've tried <laughs> the big companies, the small companies, the agencies, the different types of roles, and, and uh, I'm sure there's more things to try, but it feels like yeah. I've experimented a bunch, and, and I've definitely by now solidified a bit more the direction I want to go in. What are the things that you like the most, and what kind of company you do you prefer working? Big company, small company? Yeah, so I've definitely learned I am a small company person. Um, <laughs> granted, my time at Amazon, uh, I I wasn't on a particularly great team, and so that that was a very much a driving factor there. But uh, at Amazon, I think I lasted seven months, where. Um, I, about two weeks in, I was like, oh, no, I don't like this. <laughs> and I was like, I'll just I'll just stick around. They're paying me well. Yeah, by the time I hit that seven-month mark, I was like, you know, this is not worth it. And uh, when, I, when I left Amazon, I admit I did have to take quite the pay cut because those big companies, they do pay yeah. really well. But mm -hmm. it's kind of at the cost of your soul a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I learned how much I could live off of uh, to take a pay cut and, and be able to be just fine. And so, um, yeah, I, I still haven't caught up to my old Amazon salary because, yeah, they do, they do pay a good amount, but it was, it was definitely just not worth the headache and stuff. And so, anyway, that, that definitely taught me 
I am a smaller company person. Definitely not big, mm-hmm. not a big company person. And, and what, what don't you like about the big companies? I think it's the lack of flexibility. I, I've definitely learned about myself that I I really like a flexible environment where I don't have as many meetings and I can kind of just be told this is the task that you need to get done figure out how to get it done and and mm-hmm. me having the flexibility to be able to do that and to manage my own time with a company that has a very big meeting culture which actually that that was definitely at Netlify too and mm-hmm. uh have having just so much structure where like meetings and and politics and and things get in the way from actually getting your job done that that is not what I like I I, yeah. I am not a fan of that and so um what I do like about the smaller companies and what, what I have liked about various roles is the more flexible my role is, the more I get done, the more productive I am and the happier I am in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally relate to that because I used to work on a, it's not the size of Amazon, it's quite a big company, a company called Trivago. I don't know. Oh, you yeah, yeah. The, the travel company, right? Exactly. They were super big in, in terms of uh, advertisement. So Hotel Trivago. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so I used to work there and it was lovely. I really enjoyed it. It was my first job. It's very like flat hierarchy company. And mm. the people there were great. I met like amazing friends. But at some point I felt exactly what you just mentioned. There was like a little bit too much politics and uh, I just wanted to build stuff. And then I, I moved to a small company, like a startup. Uh, funny, this startup then was acquired by Trivago. That's <laughs> another story. And yeah, and I felt much, much better. And you feel like, uh, I don't know, I feel like you you have a purpose. I don't know if that's... Yeah. If she- yeah. Well, and, and that was that was actually a big struggle for me at Netlify because I, I loved my team so much. I, I hope to stay friends with them and, and I, I really, really like my team. Yeah. But I was in meetings all the time. Like last week, right before I left, Monday I had 11 meetings. Tuesday I had seven meetings. I was speaking at an event on on Wednesday. Yeah, I I was having tons of meetings. Granted, I had a team reporting to me and and a bunch of strategy things I had to go to, but still, it it was quite a bit. Um, And because of all that structure and just because of where we are as a company and because of competition, because of this and that, it, it... just really felt like other things were guiding the direction of my job rather than me doing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, f- I fully understand. So like, describe me your perfect job. How would, how would it look like? Oh, that is a great question because I'm still kind of figuring that out. Um, <laughs> because I think the, the job that I've enjoyed the most so far was my React training job. Because at that job, my main requirements and and general day-to-day life was I had to teach at least two workshops a month. And sometimes they were at private companies and sometimes they were public workshops that anybody could sign up for. And then in between, it was just work on curriculum. No, figure out what needs to be updated. And there was pretty much nothing beyond that. We had a team meeting every week on Mondays just to make sure we all generally knew what yeah. we were doing and we didn't step on each other's toes. But besides that, it was incredibly flexible. And I really, really liked that. And and that was definitely 
the closest I've gotten to an ideal job, I think. I don't know if it, I would still classify it as ideal, but it was, it was pretty dang close. And so what I, what I definitely am thinking about for a role moving forward is, um, first of all, I, I'm also a wannabe entrepreneur. There, there's, there's <laughs> so many uh, projects that I've wanted to do, but have been on my backlog because I just haven't had the mental energy to be able to finish them or even be able to start them sometimes. And so a role that allows me to be flexible to work on my side projects, not just be allowed to, because there's some companies where it's like, yeah, you're totally allowed yeah. to work on side projects, but then you're so tired by the end of the day that exactly. you never actually work on them. Because they you give you the 20% to work right. on your side project and then you end up working 120%, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so a role that actually lets me have the mental energy and the time to work on my projects. Um, I do want to get back in the education space. I I really love teaching and, and want to figure out what direction that'll take me. What do you love about it? What do you love about teaching? Oh, it's just so great seeing people take what you teach them and run with it. Like when they have that aha moment of being like, whoa, that makes sense. Oh, this is so cool. And then they go and build something off on their own that is like completely different from what you taught, but it teaches those concepts. Mm -hmm. I, I love seeing that in all ages too. Like uh, there have been people that I've taught where are their developers who are have like 20 years of experience and they're just like, Oh, that's how this works. Great. And then they, they build something awesome. And then I've taught really short little classes for, for kids. And I remember there was, Oh my gosh, it was so cute. There was this little, <laughs> uh, this little girl who was like eight or nine years old. And I was teaching HTML and CSS to a bunch of kids at a community center. And this little girl, she was like, well, I know that Instagram is a big thing. And so I made Instagram for unicorns and she learned how to use the image tag and the paragraph tag to add captions to a bunch of pictures of unicorns. And it was adorable. Oh my gosh. It was so cute. And and I just, I love seeing people build things and helping them build things better. And so yeah. whether I'm teaching a little kid or I'm teaching professional developers, I, I love seeing them be able to be empowered to build whatever they want and and get creative with it. Yeah. No, I, I totally get it. And uh, I guess you're very passionate about coding and software development, and you wanted to transmit this passion to others, right? I, I yeah, I want them. I want them to feel like they can be the best that they can be with it. Because I I love coding. I know that there's plenty of people in this industry who are in it for the money or in it for the flexibility, which yeah. is totally fine and great. Because if if you can have that in your life, that is yeah. awesome. It's um, a great job to to have at this moment, isn't it? Like right, exactly. Like it, the the tech industry. Like yes, we changed a bunch in the pandemic, but we overall, I think, have moved forward in a really solid way. Yeah. And I I want to help enable people to keep moving forward in their roles and in their development practices and, and in everything and, and be able to know how to, again, be the best that they can be in how they write code, in how they pursue work, in how they create things. So that way they can just have better lives for themselves. So you, you also, you just said that you want to become an entrepreneur or you are an entrepreneur, right? But uh, you want to start more of your projects. And uh, when I started becoming an entrepreneur or full-time entrepreneur i have to put my you know the coding best practices aside and also mm -hmm. focus on marketing 
and focus on just building a product. So my question is, are you also passionate on just like building a product to see how the users interact with it? Or do you prefer always to go and use the right design patterns and build the, the perfect code, most optimized code there is? I definitely, I, I'm a little bit of both because like, yeah, I'm a software engineer, so I'm going to love the code, <laughs> but I am so interested in the product side of things. I, I think it's, it's so, so interesting. Like one of the newsletters I read is the Indie Hackers newsletter and mm -hmm. I never miss an issue. I try to take notes on almost every single issue. I think it's so interesting to hear about trends, hear about like how to listen to communities better, how to, uh, you know, refine your ideas better, how to do user research better. I think all of that is so interesting. Granted, I've taken a lot of notes on it. I've learned a lot about it and I haven't actually gotten to apply it very much. Um, so it's, it's mostly from an academic perspective that I've yeah. been uh, looking at it uh, a lot. But I, I think it's, it's such an interesting concept and and I love the I love a lot of the ideas of entrepreneurship but I also am a very again I'm a very cautious engineer yeah. and so I I kind of um haven't taken the full leap into a full time yet just because I want to make sure I understand what I'm getting into and what it all will look like before mm -hmm. I actually take that leap I mean I think you will you can only fully understand it once you take the leap yeah There's a lot of things yeah, that you can so. read about, but you can only really understand it once you feel it. And mm -hmm. uh, I think especially the mental aspect of it. It's uh, Everyone says that building your own startup is probably one of the hardest things you can do in your professional life. And I, I right. didn't understand it until I actually had to do it. It's really, really mentally draining, I would say. Yeah, I, I saw a very funny joke where it was uh, someone saying like, I really wasn't liking my job where I had to work nine hours a day. And so I decided to start my own business. <laughs> Now I work 14 hours a day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that seems about right. And, and yeah, I, I've, I've talked to so many founder friends of mine where they're just like, okay, if you're going to do it, I can give you all this advice, but it will still be hard. There's no avoiding yeah. the concept of, of it will be hard. And so, yeah, it's, it's something that I'm interested in, but I, I definitely want to be as prepared as I can be before ever yeah, taking that, right. that leap. Can you be an entrepreneur inside a big company? I think you can. And this is where I do think it depends on the team that you're on and the company that you're at and stuff. But I do think that that is, that is possible. And I do have an example of that. And that's at, uh, Intuit. Um, Intuit is the company that make like TurboTax and, and mm -hmm. QuickBooks and, and a bunch of other financial softwares and stuff. Right. And I actually interned at Intuit back when I was in college way too the, many The writer of now. Lean Startup was working there, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, quite a few entrepreneurs have come out of into it and i think it's because of their culture like they have a really interesting r&d department and and they do a lot of just interesting events around that and um i know that you like hackathons i like hackathons too one yeah. of them that they had they there's like the y combinator uh startup incubator and stuff um mm -hmm. 
at Intuit, they have what they jokingly call I Combinator, like Intuit Combinator. <laughs> and, and in there, it's, it's basically like a hackathon where you can work with other employees. You pitch ideas and stuff. You, you can get a designer to design logos. You can get user researchers to talk to potential customers. And you basically have the time in the company to build your own startup. And if it starts to go well, the company will invest in you working on that company. And I thought that was the coolest concept. When I was interning there, I ended up helping out this team that was doing that. And they ended up getting some backing and they were able to take what they were working on and, and make it a part of their actual job. And I really respected that about the company. I, yeah, I thought that really was really, cool. really cool. And I I feel like the, I'm sure there are other companies that do something similar and, and it's just not as well known, um, or at least I don't know about it. But I, I thought it was such a clever concept and such a clever way of getting people to explore that side of themselves mm-hmm. without having to worry about the risk factors of leaving their jobs. And then the company gets the benefit of having this product come out of them as mm-hmm. a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so in, in Trivago, we also had uh, the hackathons and um, they were like amazingly fun. I had so much fun. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, you had also the prices. And uh, I really love building products. So I always end up building a product. And I don't know, I always had these naive expectations that the products would be used because I would, would build products travel related, right? That maybe right. could be used by Trivago. But then in the end, most of them, of the pro- projects, or I guess all of them would not be used. And I guess the biggest problem is these big companies, normally they have one source of income, like one really good source of income, right? Like let's take Google as an example. They make most mm-hmm. of their money with ads, right? So right. anything that distracts the team or distracts the engineers from optimizing that, it's somehow making the company lose money. So I don't know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 and for Trago it's the same. So it seems very, very hard. How can you get this innovation into play without somehow affecting your revenue and then therefore making your stakeholders unhappy, right? So I mm-hmm. feel that's super hard always to find here the balance, the right balance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think I think that's where you start getting issues of of certain companies being like, yeah, you can work on whatever you want. And then they're just like, surprise, because you did it on company time, we own your project now. <laughs> um, and that's something that I've actually... That's terrible. Yeah, I, I've... I've had to look at every single contract I signed for every company I work for and be just like, okay, because I work on these projects, I don't want you to own these projects because I started working on them before you and I'm probably going to keep working on them after I leave. I need you to know that these are what I work on. And and it's been, it's been a constant basically with every single job as I've had to say, okay, I need you to sign that you acknowledge that this is a project that I want to keep working on. And that was something that was really interesting at Amazon is they had so many restrictions on that. And granted I got them to sign it. They, my manager didn't really care. My team didn't really care that I had these side projects and stuff. But for example, I'm really interested in game development. I've never actually made a game similar Mm -hmm. to the whole entrepreneurship (laughs) thing. Very interested, read articles about it. Haven't actually tried it yet. Um, And at Amazon specifically at that time, you weren't allowed to work on game development unless you only used Amazon technologies and you worked on games only with other Amazon employees. And they were super, super strict about game development, even though that is not their primary source of income. 
And and it was fascinating to me. And it was only actually, this was, I worked there in 2018, 2017, mm-hmm. 2018. Um, yeah, 2018. And, and it was only a few months ago in 2021 that they got rid of that rule where, okay, fine, you can work on other technologies if you want to make a game or you can work with other people if you want to make a game. It's crazy. But so you mean, even if you're doing that in your own time, you had to use Amazon technology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of companies, they kind of want to own you in a way. And, and it's yeah. really, really weird. And, and luckily, I do think it's trending away from that in general. But mm-hmm. that, that's something that um, I, I see a lot. And, and that's something that I, I basically look for immediately whenever I am looking for a new job or whenever I'm, I'm starting to talk to companies. I'm just like, okay, how much do you actually want to own me? Because I, <laughs> I don't want to, for example, have you own any of the code that I write, but also more specifically to me, I don't want them to want to own my Twitter account because there's a lot of companies where if they see someone that has a lot of followers, they're just like, ah, they're famous. And so they can make us famous. And then they require you to just tweet about their company. and, and They actually not require you to do that. That's crazy. A lot of companies do. <laughs> Luckily, like... At Netlify, for example, they didn't. They were just like, your mm-hmm. account is your own. We will never ask you to tweet about us. If you do, we'll appreciate it, of course, but we won't mm-hmm. own it. But there are other companies I talked to where it was just like, okay, you are not allowed to tweet about our competition. You are not allowed to tweet about this. You are not allowed to do that. And, and uh, it was just like, but it's my own account. Um, and so those are the companies that I don't work for. <laughs> Does your fame on Twitter somehow helps you to find jobs? You know, in a way, yes, like it would be, I think, naive of me to say no, because purely because I am prominent on the internet, there are more companies that are aware of my existence. Right. And so they'll reach out and stuff. Um, but I still have to go through the regular interview processes. Like people aren't just saying, hey, Cassidy, have a job. You're famous. There's nothing, there's none of that happening. <laughs> it's more just like, hey, yeah, we saw that you are looking for a role and we'd like to chat. And then the whole interview process yeah. is, is after and that. And by the way, we own your Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Surprise. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. It's like So in 2020, when uh, I was laid off from my teaching role, there were quite a few people who were suddenly in my DM saying, okay, interview with us, interview with us. And, and, yeah. um, it, it was still interviewing. It was, it was not just people giving away jobs left and right as, as much as we would love that to happen. Um, yeah. and so a lot of, I, I ended up doing quite a few interviews just cause it was interesting to chat with all the different companies. I think I talked to, I think I talked to like 24 or 25 companies in a week. I just booked tons of back-to-back interviews. Going back to the saying no part, right? Yeah. And yeah. Again, again, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> but I, it was interesting to see big interview processes and then also be able to say, okay, well, I'm not interested in this company, but I know these people who might be. And uh. and there were quite a few people I know who ended up getting roles because I was able to say, okay, you know, I'm not interested in these types of roles, but here's a set of people who are, or right. respond to this tweet if you're looking for a role so that way you all can meet up. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn and say like, I'm amazing for giving away <laughs> these jobs, but th- that's just kind of how, how it actually worked out where luckily some people were able to get roles because I wasn't able to fulfill what the company wanted or uh, yeah. the company wasn't able to fulfill And what now I they wanted. owe you for life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's um, so 
about your Twitter account and about your uh, your humor and the jokes and puns you do, do you sometimes feel that people don't take you as seriously as a coder and software engineer because you do these memes? Luckily, not as much as it might have been in the past. I think, and and I I say this delicately because. Um, first of all, I think the industry is kind of getting a little bit better at that in general, but also I kind of started doing the jokes and everything in my, let's see, let me count one, two, three, four, in my fifth job in the industry. So I had kind of established my technical credibility before I started being more vocal with my jokes. Because right. I, I first started making silly TikToks and, and making more puns on the internet and stuff in 2019, actually. So after Amazon and, and, and later stuff. And it was just kind of something where I was like, hey, you know, I like being funny and, and I don't really use Twitter much, so I should try this. And then it kind of just spiraled into something that I suddenly became known for. And I was like, oh, dang, well, I guess <laughs> people like humor. Um, and so... It was something that that I definitely stumbled upon, and luckily, like yes, there there's always trolls, and there's people who are just like you don't actually know what you're talking about, and, yeah, yeah. and that sort of thing. But I have not had it as bad as other people, luckily, because I think I had some more credibility under my belt. Do you think that humor is important also in engineering, and to to be a leader as well as a as a software engineer? Oh no. It's I know some very amazing engineers who don't have a humorous bone in their bodies. Um but anyway, I I personally like making light of things because it's such a serious industry. Like we do a lot of logic and math and yeah. and it's a lot of hardcore stuff and and it, it requires a lot of very serious thinking. And as a result, we kind of get stuck in our own mental bubbles sometimes and take ourselves very very seriously and And yet we're facing the same problems that another engineer faces every single day. We are probably solving incredibly similar problems that someone else has already solved. Mm -hmm. We just don't know how to look for it. Or we sometimes solve problems where it's a problem that we've already solved. And when we Google the answer, we find our own Stack Overflow question. <laughs> like <laughs> that kind of stuff. It, it's it's such a great way to relate to people. Did because, that ever happen to you? <laughs> yes. I actually made a TikTok about it because it did happen to me where I couldn't figure something out and I Googled it. And then I found my Stack Overflow question <laughs> and it was my answer too. And you're like, oh, let me upvote this case. City. What? Yeah. It's me. <laughs> just, Wait a minute. I know this writing style. Yeah. And, and so, I, yeah, I, I made a joke about that because it has happened to me in real life. Anyway, I, I like bringing humor to the industry because it's such a serious one. And when people see me make jokes about something like that, something relatable, it kind of makes them feel a little less alone. Um, and there have been, yeah. been some really nice messages and stuff where people have said, I didn't actually know that other people were struggling with this. And this is really great to see. And, and people are able to talk about it a little yeah, bit more because there's yeah, jokes yeah. about it. It's like, you know, all of us use Google, for instance, right? Like, I mean, Google or being right. go good at Googling things is maybe what, 80%? It's a, it's a, it's a skill to be able it's to It's a search. skill, exactly. But there, there was this kind of taboo thing that no one wanted to kind of admit that they were using yeah. Google and... Um, And it's yeah, it's funny when you suddenly like joke about it and you say, "Okay, I'm a I'm a 
coding influencer, let's say, and I use Google, makes others also feel, okay, it's fine. I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. Uh, let me just follow Casey and <laughs> everything will be better. I think I actually tweeted just like two days ago, like, hey, a lot of people hold themselves back because they are afraid of looking like a dummy. But guess what? You are a dummy. So expect to just accept it and you'll be much happier because yeah. it's true. We all have to look things up. We all have to copy and paste things. And there are definitely some people where they're just like, you shouldn't be proud of that. You should be able to do stuff yeah, yourself, yeah. but it's the reality. That's how a lot of people get by in their jobs. And that's how a lot of people are successful. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no shame in that. In coding, I feel that it's really rare to some uh, new engineer like let's say a senior engineer that gets someone's someone else's project, it's really rare for them to say, "Wow, this is amazing." Most yeah. of them they just like, "I just want to rewrite it." Like, "Oh, how come you use this or that?" Why is that? Like, why is this competition? Why is it like people always saying, "No, I code better than the others." Do you also feel this sometimes? Yeah, in the I think there. I I think that's. Hmm. Try not to get too spicy. We're getting towards the end of the episode, and we don't want to end on a weird <laughs> note, but. Uh, <laughs> I think there's there's an element of insecurity when people are tr- trying to say like I'm better than you and stuff like that because nobody nobody's code is that amazing where you're just like wow they're better than me at everything serves me right for even trying but when people are are doing that it, they're kind of attaching their identity to their code and the work that they do and the technologies that they use when I see someone who starts to freak out because they're just like, oh, you know, this, I, I really think that, I don't know, Tailwind is terrible or React Mm -hmm. is terrible or something like that. And people jump to defend it like, no, it's amazing. Both of these people have issues. (laughs) You should not say, oh, this thing is terrible. You can say, you know, I tried it and it's not for me. And you can leave it at that. And if someone is saying they don't like this technology, don't take it personally. It's just code. Yes, it might be code that you wrote. Yes, it might be code that you really use regularly and it's been great for you. But Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they're insulting you personally. It's just that they had a bad experience with it. I think a lot of people, they they tie their self-worth to the code that they write, to the work that they do, to the things that they support. And uh, that, that'll just end up leading to a bad time because nothing is going to make every single person happy. Yeah, true. And that's why there's so many different technologies too, right? So Right, exactly. And I guess that's where my entrepreneur and bootstrapper uh, vein uh, comes and I say, okay, I don't care. I just want to build a product. I love technology. I love that technology enables me to build things that, you know, come from my mind and I can build them yeah. with just a laptop. That's what I love about it. And I don't care if I'm using, you know, Python or if I'm using Java, whatever, as long as it basically does the job. Uh, but I know that there's other other uh, software developers that are more, you know, picky about the technologies they use. Um, well, I, I feel the same way about, like, people who are writing blog posts or making online classes and stuff like that. Like, there might be a lot of people making, for example, an intro to React hooks course or something, mm-hmm. but you never know if someone else will resonate with the way that you make a course or you write a blog post or you write a library or you build a business. Um, there's, I think there's a lot of room for a lot of different voices in this industry, and, and you can yeah. take advantage of that without having to 
be on the bleeding edge of every single technology and stuff. Yeah, just just kind definitely. of put it out there because you never know what people will benefit from uh, and and it could be what you make. Last question. Which technology excites you the most in the in the upcoming future? Oh man. That's a tough one. You gave me the toughest question for the end. Um, <laughs> you know, one thing that I'm particularly excited about right now is Astro, the Astro framework. You can check it out at astro.build. And what is cool about them is they basically embrace this flexibility mindset that we've been talking about, where mm -hmm. let's just say you like Vue.js, you can use Vue with Astro. If you like React, you can use React with Astro. If you can't decide, you can use both. You can also use cool. Svelte. You can also use Preact. It allows you to use any rendering library you want in the framework um, and also has a bunch of other really cool components under the hood, and, and it sh ships less JavaScript by default and allows you to enable... JavaScript on a page-by-page -page basis. It allows you to do client-side rendering if you want to, while also doing things static first. And I, I think that direction of web development is a really good one because it lets you just build the way you prefer while also being smart about how it renders websites. Mm -hmm. Astro.build, I'm checking it right now. Oh, it's cool. cool. I, I actually gave a talk on it just last week. It, it uh, It's a really, really neat framework. Cool. I will definitely link it in the description of this episode together with your uh, Twitter account and everything. I guess most of people already know anyways, but I will link it in the description. Yeah, Kajiri, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with the wannabe entrepreneurs. And uh, we are definitely looking forward for your next challenge. And uh, we want to see your own company. We want to see your own startup <laughs> coming up. Is that is that a thing for that might happen or not so much? You know, I, I think what I've decided is I'm looking for a place where I can have a flexible enough role to build some MVPs. And then once I build some MVPs, do the whole user validation stuff, then maybe I'll take the leap and, and do it full time. Yeah. You can do an hackathon just to build your MVP. Yeah. Ooh. In public. You do a like build in public. Or... Yes, learn in yeah. public. It's all in learn public. Learn in public. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for your time, Casey. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And this was the end of another interview. I hope you had as much fun as I did. And for the new listeners, this is a podcast about entrepreneurship, bootstrapping, indie makers. I interview a lot of other entrepreneurs about their journey. And there's people from all backgrounds, designers, marketeers, coders. And I also speak about my own journey and my own project. So make sure to check out all the previous episodes. And if you want to support this podcast, you can become a member. It costs four euros per month and you join our virtual co-working space for bootstrappers, which is a Slack community and a virtual office filled with entrepreneurs from all backgrounds. And we work together and support each other in building our own projects. And it's a great way for you to kickstart or to develop your projects with us. So the link will be in the description. Make sure to check it out. And last but not least, please share this episode with your friends, your developer friends, your bootstrapper friends, anyone you think might be interested. This would mean the world to me. This was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>